your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW Lacrosse political science professor, is going to join us. We could talk about the debates that have happened this week. There was three of them. The debates coming up next week and the week after, right? Uh, Kapanki path debate next week and the Van Orden kind debate on October 28th, so two weeks away. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Bunch of other stuff we could talk about too with, with Chagoski. If you got questions, shoot them to me. 608-785-7914. They had dueling town halls. Was that last night or two nights ago? No, I don't even remember. But the, the dueling town halls between uh, President Donald Trump and Joe Biden, when they don't want to debate with each other, but then they go and do town halls. And then at the same time, so you really have to kind of have some kind of all kinds of time on your hand if you want to watch both of those. And at this point, are we, are we even, is everybody decided, do we even need these debates and town halls at, between Trump and, and Biden? Uh, what else did we have? Oh, I was driving through I, rural Wisconsin today. And uh, I noticed it's all, it's always kind of funny to you get out in rural Wisconsin and it's Trump pen signs. But there's also when I, I was getting into some of these smaller towns, a lot of back the badge signs out on out in front of houses. And that's fine. I mean, who who wouldn't who wouldn't back the badge? Right. Like, uh, I guess I could think of some people, but the idea of putting back the badge signs in front of your house doesn't seem as smart as putting a back to badge sign on your car bumper. Like if think if you're going to if you're going to tell people you back the badge, you got to put it on your bumper. And and if you're, you know, like you see the a lot of people have these the the flags for their candidates or whatever. You definitely need back to badge flags on your car. Right? And I remember having little packer flags on on like the passenger windows uh that that you could put on each side of your car definitely need back-to-badge flags, back-to-badge bumpers, bumper stickers. I mean, everywhere that you possibly could put back-to-badge, you need to put it all over your car. So when you get pulled over, the cop knows you back-to-badge, and he was likely to give you a warning. What kind of jerk cop is going to give somebody a ticket when their car is doused in back-to-badge flags and stickers? So just a just some advice for anyone out there that's got back to badge signs in front of their house. Maybe just grab that sign and just like take the wires and wire it into your trunk somehow, onto your trunk or onto your front bumper, onto your back bumper. Doesn't do a ton of good to have back to badge signs in front of your house. You know, somebody comes and robs your house, the back to badge sign's not gonna deter them from that. I mean you're better off putting, hey, I have an alarm out in front of my house, you know, or an NRA sign, if anything else. At least then they know you have a gun, but maybe they, they, they assume you if you back the badge, you have a gun. I don't know. Uh, I just thought that was kind of funny to see. Uh, I, I, have, I don't see a lot of back-to-badge signs where I'm typically driving. So when I was out uh, in the, the heading towards Viroqua today, I, I saw some of those and thought it was kind of kind of interesting. Um. All right, so I want to get out of here as fast as possible. I'm going to make Brad do the news. It sounds like he's ready. 
And uh, so I can bring Trigoski in here. We can break down everything that, that's going on politically as we get closer to the November 3rd election. So coming up, the news with Brad Williams. We'll be back after this. I'm with him. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. If you want to text in, you got questions for the expert, the UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Chagoski, how, how's it going? Three after uh, a, a kind of a jam-packed week of debates for you. This was a crazy week, Rick. I had like a bajillion quizzes to grade, plus three debates to moderate on top of that. So I think I'm ready for a nap after we get off today. Yeah, the weekend isn't going to be, you're not partying at the bars this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Only if it's under 25% capacity. Yeah, right. Um, Okay, so obviously, yeah, we did did have three three debates. Um, Did any... Of the three in particular, four, four, I should say, four assembly, 94th, 95th, and 96th districts. I think I got those right for anyone who makes fun of me that I can't remember which district is rich. Um, but uh, did anything stick out from any of the debates? It, it, it did, Rick. Overall, I was really happy with the tone of these debates. And I got a lot of questions about that, like how would we handle outbursts and how would we handle candidates just like losing their mind or something. I got a lot of those questions in the aftermath of the first presidential debate. But those questions turned out to really not be a concern at all because the tone of these debates was extremely civil. And there were some tough exchanges at times, but nothing that crossed the line into like an uncivil or just out of bounds kind of uh, attack. And so I was really pleased with the, with the kind of civil and, and respectful tone of these debates. Yeah, but your your the first thing I would note about <laughs> about the first one this week, Rick, is that Jill Billings actually has an opponent this year. Yeah, you're of course you're the moderator. You're you're happy that the tones were civil and you didn't have to use your virtual, uh, you know, Zoom meeting mute button. Um, but I think everyone else would be disappointed if we didn't have something like, "Come on, we really want, we kind of want some outbursts, don't we?" Well, Rick. I don't deny that it is important for the candidates to go at it. I mean, part of debating is about clarifying the differences between the candidates. And so I am A-OK with candidates arguing and candidates going after each other and attacking each other. But like I said, I didn't really sense any attacks this week that crossed that line. Right. I thought that all of the attacks this week were fair game based on the records of the candidates and not based on, you know, cheap personal insults or anything. So, you know, I, I do think that the tone of this week's debates was uh, extremely promising as far as just the overall sort of political environment here in Western Wisconsin seems to be. I mean, because it it was just a marked contrast between sort of these national debates and then our local debates where people got along just fine and put their differences out there and let the people decide. How much do you think virtually doing these debates had anything to do with that? You can't look, look at your opponent and be like, you can't give them the glare, you can't give them the roll eyes, or you can't just be like, mm, whatever. 
Yeah, Rick. Well, we really tightened up the format when we had to go fully virtual. And so we put it in the rules that no interruptions were allowed, that I would police the time limits and make sure that the candidates got equal time, but that we wouldn't allow candidates to interrupt one another. And that just really made, I thought, I thought that really brought the temperature of these debates to a pretty low level. And it also just made it easier to understand everyone because you know, I know teaching on Zoom, sometimes students will kind of talk over each other because there's a little delay or you can't kind of see each other. So people start talking at the same time. And so we just wanted to have a really organized format. And I thought that we've accomplished that so far. Yeah. And even on Lacrosse Talk TM, sometimes we talk over each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have we have lots of experience doing that, Rick. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're getting better. I think we're I think we're doing pretty good. I, I you you professors, when I bring uh, Keith Knutson in here, Joe Heim too, and and yourself, you professors are lecturers. So sometimes they'll be like, "Hey, zip it up," but I can't look at you and tell you to be like, "Dude, I want to get in here for a second and make fun of whatever you just said," and then you keep going and going. Then I forget what I was going to make fun of you about. Well, that's what that's what we're professionals at, Rick. You know, just listening and enjoying the sound of our own voice. I mean, that's what makes us professors, right? Yeah, right. Uh, so, from one set of debates to another that didn't happen uh, yesterday, right? Well, the, the the was a Trump Biden thing supposed to happen yesterday or two days ago or three days ago? It's all everything's running together on me. Oh, yeah, I, I know it, Rick. It, you know, the second debate was supposed to happen yesterday. It was ultimately canceled over a controversy surrounding the format where the debate commission decided that it would have to be some kind of a virtual format, that the candidates would not be physically present in the same location. And the Trump campaign had objections to that. And ultimately, it was decided that there wouldn't be a debate at all. And so what did we get instead? We got two town hall meetings on competing networks at the exact same time. So that was a weird situation that unfolded yesterday. I will say two things. I like town halls better than whatever the debate was between Trump and Biden, but maybe that's not a fair comparison. I kind of like the town halls. I I enjoy, actually kind of enjoy the the back and forth, even with crowd members and then, you know, the the moderator, so to speak, or the journalist that's asking questions. But are we doing the country a disservice to having them both at the same time and 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 on top of that, well, how about that question? I mean, that's that's we shouldn't be doing that, right? Uh, it, it was completely ridiculous to have them at the same time, Rick. And I really have to put the blame at NBC's feet for this because they knew that the Biden campaign and ABC had scheduled a town hall for Thursday night. And then NBC worked with the Trump campaign and schedules another one at the exact same time. So this just seems to be like a cheap TV network rivalry kind of thing. But ultimately, the losers are the the voters because who is going to take like three hours to watch a town hall? I mean, what do you do? Do you like DVR one and then watch one live? Like, I don't even know how you would do that. So it just really limited the audience for these two events. And ultimately, they did attract decent audiences. The Biden town hall got about 14 million people. The Trump town hall got about 13 million people watching. But those numbers would have been higher if they had been at different times. And those numbers would have been way higher if we had actually had 
a presidential debate. Is it is it possible to do a town hall with both candidates and not even a debate? Like, could we change it up where I don't, I don't know. The town hall just seems so much more civilized and, and interesting to me. Well, Rick, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the second debate was supposed to kind of be a town hall format. I mean, there would be a moderator, but there would also be a studio audience of undecided voters. And I can't believe that there are still undecided voters at this point, but apparently they were going to try to find some and then put them in the audience for the debate and have them ask questions. So it would have been that type of a format, but Obviously, we have missed out on that opportunity. Yeah, I was just going to say there, there. So there would be six audience members at a, at a un, yeah. of undecided voters. That was my other question. You know, we put town halls. We do the dueling town halls last night. So they're they're at the same time. If we if we want to watch Biden slip up, right? That's why we'd watch Biden because whatever policies, blah blah blah. We just want to see if he's going to trip on himself. And then if we want to watch Trump, we just want to see what kind of ridiculous thing that Trump's going to say. Uh, and hopefully he doesn't talk about like low flow shower heads for 15 minutes. Um, but yeah, but in terms of being undecided, I don't know who's watching. You know, am, am I a am I a Trump's former Trump supporter thinking about Biden? I don't know who that person is anymore. Well, no, there really aren't really many undecided voters at all. And Rick, what we know about undecided voters is that they tend to pay very little attention to the campaign anyway. So the odds that any undecided voters were watching the town halls last night were very slim. And that is why I suspect that those town halls last night persuaded exactly no voters to change their stances. Because the voters who are most open to persuasion, the voters who are most undecided tend to be the ones who don't really watch that kind of stuff and are pretty disconnected from politics and just kind of make up their mind at the last minute because they haven't really been thinking about the election until kind of the last minute. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski joining us. Um, in that in that regard, how important are local debates? Joe Billings versus Jerome Gunderson this week, Steve Doyle versus Leroy Brown versus Kevin Hoyer. Um, and because I feel like we're, a lot of us are are just we're going to go all D's or all R's when we vote and we're not going to look we're not going to care what the candidates say. So I don't know. Do you think that when you trickle down into local debates or local elections, the, the divide is is less so and more people are are, are kind of looking at what um, these people that are going to represent us have to say? Absolutely, Rick. Debates and campaign activity makes more of a difference the further down the ballot you go. And that is because voters are simply less aware of these candidates. And the candidates have the chance to introduce themselves to these voters and to shape perceptions of them in the minds of these voters. So that's kind of what I'm hoping is accomplished through these debates, that, you know, maybe people who haven't heard of these candidates will catch at least part of the debate and be able to have a sense of who it is that they're voting for on the ballot. Because the norm, Rick, is that you just vote straight party line. And we've seen a massive decline over the past three or four decades in the number of people who vote like one candidate, Democrat, another race, they vote Republican, split ticket voting, we call it. We've seen a massive decline in that. And I hope that we can maybe get people into the mindset of at least being open to 
split ticket voting and not just voting party party all the way down. And hopefully that's what we can accomplish by, you know, getting the word out about these state legislative candidates who are interesting people in their own right. And, you know, we shouldn't be voting for them just based on if we like or dislike Donald Trump. You know, they have their policy positions of their own. They have their experience of their own. They have their platforms of their own. And so it's important for people to just consider these races in their own right and not just make decisions based on, well, I like Donald Trump, so I'm going to vote Republican all the way down, or I don't like Donald Trump, so I'm going to vote Democrat all the way down. Yeah, the idea of uh, – I, I looked this up now. I, I brought this up last week when we talked, but the uh, uh, the idea of just going all Ds and not even paying any attention to who you're voting for and just going all Ds or all Rs – uh, in, in New Hampshire, this happened, and I'll just read the headline. Transgender metalhead Satanist wins Republican nomination for county sheriff. So so that's what happens when you when you when you don't pay attention. And then there's a picture of, you know, this guy with dyed red hair, dyed long red hair and wearing a dress and uh, apparently worships Satan. So, um, yeah, maybe pay attention to to uh, these people who are, you know, rep going trying to represent you. It, it seems like the, the best thing to do. Um Another big debate on Tuesday that maybe the the biggest debate do you think I don't uh, the the maybe the most uh, you know I don't and I shouldn't get into this now but Dan Kapenke Brad Paff we got about a minute so let's let's tease that we'll tease that until uh, after Scott's comment and Tregoski a little we're gonna change it up today with Scott's comment because it's actually a Bill Fian comment today. So. Bill Fian comment. This yeah. is this is breaking news here. Yeah. So stay tuned. That's coming up. We'll be back after this. I was. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Anthony Chagoski, political science professor at UW-Lacrosse, on the phone with us this hour, kind of breaking down everything from local elections and debates to stuff that's going on nationally. Um, the the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearing, I... I Chagoski, I will say I haven't I I pay almost no attention to that because I have uh senators that are Democrats and and uh as, that's about all I could do is if I want to send a message or um uh leave a voicemail for my senators on how I feel and and beyond that it's like eh they're just going to do what they're going to do. Well, that's exactly right, Rick. I mean, if the if the Republicans want to confirm Amy Coney Barrett they can confirm Amy Coney Barrett. They look like they have the votes to do so. And this is such a high stakes and valuable seat that I just see the Republicans plowing this through and potentially even getting this done before Election Day. Because to get a conservative justice on the Supreme Court She's in her late 40s. She could be there for a very long time. And this flips a liberal seat to the conservative side, shifting the balance of power on the Supreme Court. The Republicans are going to do whatever they can do to get this confirmation done. And right now, I don't see anything in their way that could block this confirmation from succeeding. Yeah, aside from the the fact that you know, the the hypocrisy, you know, from Merrick Garland to to doing this now, right before the election, 
Also, this has never happened this close to an election in the whatever 200-so years of of confirming Supreme Court candidates. Um, but Lindsey Graham did have this to say. I don't know if you've heard this, but I thought it was uh, it was pretty pretty interesting in terms of uh, where Republicans sit in in terms of uh, like what how they care about the the greater good of society or whatever you want to call it. I guess where, where most of society stands versus where they stand. This is the first time in American history that we've nominated a woman who's unashamedly pro-life and uh, embraces her faith without apology, and she's going to the court. Seat at the table is waiting on you, and it will be a great signal to all young women who want to who share your view of the world that there's a seat at the table for them. Uh, this won't be celebrated in most places. It'd be hard to find much commentary about this uh, moment in American history. But in many of our worlds, this will be celebrated. This has been a long time coming. And we have arrived. So in many of our worlds, this will be celebrated and it won't be celebrated in most places. I think those are the two statements that stick out most to me. Um, Well, then maybe we should find somebody that's going to be celebrated in most places to uh, sit on a lifetime appointment. (laughs) Well, Rick, the thing is, is that Amy Coney Barrett is undeniably a conservative And not just that, but a strong social conservative. Her religious background has been subject of much reporting and much discussion. And as Lindsey Graham pointed out, she very well could be a vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. I thought that that was an interesting point of the vice presidential debate where Pence, who pretty clearly would favor overturning Roe versus Wade, actually punted on the chance to take a stance on that and to say that, yeah, that's what they're trying to do with this Supreme Court nomination. But this radically reshapes the court. I mean, going from a five to four conservative majority to a six to three conservative majority, that one seat just makes a big difference in what the conservatives will be able to do on the Supreme Court. And so we could see that this Supreme Court goes in a very different direction once Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed. Yeah, and and it isn't. I don't know how much time we need to spend on it because it's just not. It's not anything that we we could do anything about except go and vote. And um, so it just seems like one of them things that is a little bit hypocrite, a little bit of a hypocrisy there, and um, very blatantly so. I guess not even a little bit, and it just makes people mad. But maybe that's what maybe that's what Republicans want. Well, Rick, I think that you have a situation where, for a long time, Republican voters have cared about the courts, and to a degree that is greater than the Democratic voters. It just seems like, for Republican voters, the courts are more of a priority, or at least they have been. And that's why a lot of conservatives kind of went along with Donald Trump in 2016, because he promised to appoint these conservative judges, and he's followed through on that. But what I think might be interesting is if this finally gets Democratic voters to start caring about the courts and finally gets them to start, like, getting fired up over the courts, 
because the Democratic Party just has not been able to animate its base about judicial appointments and stuff like that nearly to the extent that Republicans have. So this could be an opportunity for Democrats to kind of reshape the politics of of the courts, maybe a bit in their favor. We're, and we're kind of seeing that uh, in Wisconsin, right? Like the as as these things go on, and we've had a couple of Supreme Court votes the last, you know, what two three years. Um, we're we're kind of seeing oh, Wisconsinites are are realizing that these votes are actually pretty important. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just look at what, you know the the rulings on the safer at home order, for example, the Tony Evers safer at home order. That gets overturned by the state Supreme Court, plus all of the state Supreme Court rulings related to the April election. So, I mean, that was just a fantastic tutorial, a bit of a chaotic one, but it really showed people how much courts matter. And they really do matter because... So much of the conflict between Tony Evers and this Republican-controlled legislature does seem to just be playing out in the courts. And so that just means that the stakes are all the more higher for these court, these judicial elections. All right, so we're talking to Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW Lacrosse political science professor. Um, bringing it back to Wisconsin, that obviously Brad Paff and, and Dan Kopenke on the, uh, you know, you're going to be moderating that debate on Tuesday at 12:45 p.m. Right, I believe that's the right time. And yep. uh, um, I don't know what is this the is this the biggest um, race in in the entire state besides Trump Biden. <laughs> Well, it's certainly right up there, Rick, because in the Republican Party's quest for a two-thirds veto-proof majority in the state legislature, this is really a seat that they have to win. And it's going to be a very, very close race. You've seen tons of money pour into this campaign, and that tells you all you need to know about how the people at, at the political action committees, how the political parties view this race and what they're seeing in their internal data. Because if money is just flowing into this district, and it is, then that means that their polling is showing a very, very tight race. And so right now, I my assessment is that this race is simply a coin flip. Um, I don't know how much history you, you know with this race, but Jennifer Schilling took this seat from Dan Kopenke in, a, in the recall election, I believe. And um, now she's out. So Brad Paff is in there. Is And Schilling was the minority leader. So I, that seems to have some clout. But you think this race is going to be more competitive between Paff and Kopenke? If it's going to be more competitive for PATH than if Schilling was in there? That is a very difficult question, Rick. I mean, to the extent that Jennifer Schilling, you know, I mean, Jennifer Schilling, it was an extremely close election in 2016 between Schilling and Kapanke. And that's despite the fact that Hillary Clinton won that district by about four points. So that was a rather odd contrast. You had Hillary Clinton winning that Senate district by a somewhat comfortable margin, and then you had this extremely close race for state Senate. 
So I wonder if Brad Papp will be able to perform up to par with Joe Biden. And if he can just run even with Joe Biden, this is the type of district that he could win just by doing that, because it does have that slight Democratic lean. And so Brad Papp, uh, you know, all else equal, you know, he may have the slightly easier path to victory here just because it does have that slight to moderate Democratic lean in most elections. Yeah, I will say between Schilling and Kopanke in 2016, 56 votes, the initial count. So, yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. And and like I said, Rick, you know, the odd thing was is that, you know, Clinton won the district pretty comfortably, but then you had this extremely close race for a state Senate. And so I don't know kind of how you square that circle, but it was sort of an odd feature, I thought, of the 2016 elections. Um, moderating the do you do you, when do you get nervous heading into these uh, debates and being the moderator and and, I, and you know if you if you follow Van Orden on Facebook he's always calling out Ron Kind I, I feel like I would be a little bit nervous for that debate coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Rick, I, I am thinking about that debate because I do think that it will be particularly intense. I mean, just look at the ads in that race. Just look at the stories in that race, how how intense this race has become. Uh, and, and I just got some mail today from the Democratic Party with an extremely like graphic uh, wording of what Derek Van Orden wrote in his book. Um, and so this is a very intense race, and we're going to do our very best to make it a civil and organized debate. And so we're not going to allow interruptions. We're going to give candidates equal time. And if the candidates don't follow those rules, then, you know, I'll step in and and have to enforce those rules. But my assumption is always that they'll follow the rules because, I mean, we I think we have pretty fair rules that allow for equal speaking time. Nathan texted in. He goes, money is pouring in. We need to tax the PACs and super PACs. Maybe they should just put the election on eBay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, this is a race where, like, every day you see, like, a new PAC popping up that is sponsoring an ad or sending a piece of direct mail or or sending a message on social media. I mean, the PACs just seem to be having a field day with this state Senate race. The the three assembly races that happened this week, with, with the panelists of journalists from around the area asking questions, do you think anyone missed some questions? Because I, I have some opinions, but I wonder if you, if you feel like maybe some of these issues weren't hit on at all that that we needed to be asking these people. I think the emphasis certainly was on the COVID response of the state and the appropriateness of Governor Evers' orders. I think you saw the candidates break down on pretty predictable lines on that question where the Democratic candidates thought, you know, Evers has done the right things. He has made the right moves in terms of these emergency orders and limiting capacity at bars and restaurants and the mask mandates. And I thought you saw Republicans pretty predictably taking the other stance on that. Uh, 
What it got interesting was the question of, like, if the legislature should be back in business. And, Rick, I know that's something that you've been harping on, just the inactivity of the Wisconsin state legislature. And interestingly, you had Republican candidates in these races saying, yeah, they want to have they, they would push for going back to work in the state legislature. They would push for doing something right now about the COVID response in the state legislature. So there were some points where the Republicans in these races did kind of break with their party. Also on gerrymandering, um, that was a key topic as well, Rick. But I, I know you mentioned earlier that you had you had, you would hope that the issue of the minimum wage had come up. Yeah, I wanted to be. I wanted to, and maybe it will next week. Hmm. <laughs> a minimum wage, <laughs> uh, legalizing gambling, legalizing marijuana, stuff like that. But you you talk and and the idea that I, I'm I'm going to really think about how I word these questions because. When you ask, uh, you, when you say Republicans running for seats are saying, yeah, maybe we should meet in session. Well, of course you should. That's the easiest answer. They're not going to go, no, we shouldn't meet in session. No big deal. Let the state run its course and we'll see what happens with COVID. That's the easiest question. It's like when you do meet in session, because that's what we all want you to do. What are you going to do? What specific things could we could we look at that when I had the lacrosse school superintendent on yesterday, it was like, hey, what would you ask the state legislature to do? And he's you know, he had a couple of different answers. So I think maybe the, the state legislature needs to, you know, get or these candidates need to get a little bit more specific when you ask them, hey, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do about schools? The answer is always yeah, we need to get kids back in school and do it safely. And it's like, yeah, we, we all agree there, but what are you going to do after that? You know, like, so I, I feel like I want a little bit more specific answers from candidates. And I know that that is frustrating, Rick. And the truth is that there aren't a lot of specifics to be had when it comes to any discussions about what the legislature might exactly do when they return if they return into session. And so, uh, you know, with the Wisconsin state legislature, we're just at the point of wondering if they'll meet again anytime soon. And we're not even really on to the question of, like, what exactly they might do when they meet. I mean, there's this sense that, I mean, we've got a deteriorating situation here in terms of COVID in Wisconsin. We've got hospitalizations on the rise. We've got deaths on the rise. We've got a really, really big problem. And then we have a state legislature that, as the wispolitics.com study showed, has been less active than its counterparts that are full-time state legislatures. In fact, those counterparts have been 18 times more active than the Wisconsin state legislature. So I guess what is jarring to me is that the Republic, the the Wisconsin state legislature is so inactive that we don't even really know what would be on the table when they do, if they do actually get back into session. It's all part of the gerrymandered plan. They don't have to do anything because all the districts are gerrymandered and they're just going to win those seats anyway. Tregowski, thanks a lot for joining me this uh, this hour on another, another Friday in the books. Thank you, Rick. All right. See ya. All right, we're going to take another quick break. We'll wrap up after this. All right, that's going to do it for a Friday. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. I will say, if you uh, you want to look up a story about Donald Trump tweeting the Babylon Bee today, retweeting 
essentially Donald Trump retweeted the onion today and thought it was real and then complained about <laughs> the story, which was very comical. 